Howdy, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. We have a lot of news to discuss. We're hopefully going to be able to get to our it's Tuesday, Mike. It's Tuesday. Oh, that's right. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Act is rubbing off on me. At least I know wow. the date. At least I know the date because it's my niece's birthday, but I didn't. I Sorry about that. It's great. Yeah, it's my homage to Act. Rewind. <laughs> no, um, but anyway, uh, Russ, start us off with the. Oh, let me just say one thing here because we a picture popped up on Facebook, and it made me yearn for the days that we were in Dallas because I was Bill Art seeing my old photo, uh, the photo I posted after the Dallas. We were at the. Uh, yes. Tell, tell, tell everybody what it is. Thanks, thanks to Bill Melter who lives part time in Dallas. We found what was arguably the best barbecue place in Dallas, which is going going a long way because there are a lot of great barbecue places oh, yeah. in Dallas. But we went to this place called the Pecan Lodge, and it's well known. And, of course, you know, we're waiting in line for an hour and a half, and nobody's like, you know, like nothing is worth waiting in a line an hour and a half. And then we ate, and, oh, frig, it was so yeah. So was an amazing meal. That was an amazing meal. Great company, and um, yeah, the, I, I, I've had brisket here and there, like up here, but then having it there in Texas, like like real Texas brisket, it was like, oh lord. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, we 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 picked out like delicacy. Like in in Chicago, we went for deep dish, and that was mm -hmm. really good. Yep. And Dallas went for barbecue. Vancouver, we really like. I, we were thinking about going to some places, and we ended up at the same bar three nights in a row. But uh, anyway, drinking was <laughs> a priority. Very Canadian of us. It was so. <laughs> I, I noticed yesterday, and I I don't subscribe anymore to the uh, WWE Network, but I noticed they had run a string of Undertaker. Uh, documentaries, whatever you want to call them, like a four-parter, and in the fourth part, he basically retired. He basically said, that's it, it's the end of the road. And I did watch his last match because they re-showed it, and it was, you know, during the COVID time. So it was a weird thing where he came in on the motorcycle. He wasn't really the Undertaker anymore. He was the, and I forgot what they used to call him, um, but his American badass. It was American, American badass. He was back, yeah. he was back to that. Yep. He was back to that, and, and that's sort of how he went out. And and that's probably a good way for him to go out because it got really overdone with the acolytes and everything with The Undertaker. It got to the point where the announcement of The Undertaker in the arena and the 20 minutes it took him to get to the ring was better than what you would see in the ring. So at least with this, The American Badass, you know, he got his, got to go out on his own terms. And we'll always remember The Undertaker. And, and that's, you know, I think – he did it the right way because like Ric Flair is still walking in there doing stuff. And I don't think the undertaker is going to do that. Now, um, what was, what was the other name that Mick Foley had? But, uh, Cactus Jack. Oh, yeah. Multiple times. Cactus Jack, dude, love, dude, love he had the hippie one. And of course he had mankind, which is right. He was Cactus Jack when he lived on long Island and he, before the WWE that was, extreme, that was all of his extreme wrestling. Yeah. That was the, when he was in that. Yeah. 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 All right. A uh, couple other things. One, the announcement. No, Russ, is this official or is this is this? This is official, Mike. Now that picture that you saw may not be official, right? But it is official. Like Michael Keaton is now back into the DC universe. Yes, and he is Batman slash Bruce Wayne. So the way they're sort of doing it is, as Batman has been aging here uh, in movies before, I guess the inevitable reboot, inevitable reboot, which I'll never watch because um, I'm getting sick of them. He is now taking over for Affleck, which th 
thank God. Affleck had reached his his point of expiration. I felt. I guess my question is going to be: What is the patent? They, they have another. Is this completely separate? The Pattinson one? Or is no. He, what, what, young what he is going to be in the Flash movie. Right. And that's how they're going to introduce him. He is going to be a mentor, I guess, for the Flash. Yeah. But also, he is signed on to do two movies. So the thinking is, if I'm reading the tea leaves right, I think they're going to do a Bruce Wayne movie, yeah. and they could go back to his original Batman and pull some stuff out when he was a younger Bruce Wayne. Reality 19, like somehow pulling in the Batman 89 universe as part of the multi DC multiverse. Maybe, but if you noticed in in the second in the second movie where Affleck was Bruce Wayne, they made sure that they had him gray. That he was graying in the first one. I thought well, he was. it was not as much. It was even more pronounced in the second one. I think right. there was. Yeah, maybe that was the preparation. I wanted mean, to be more along the lines of the Frank Miller Batman Returns. It seems that way, and, and more and brutal. You we, know, we should pay that. homage that Joel Schumacher passed away, and yep. it's not often that we're going to say something bad like he almost ruined the Batman series with the two no, Batman, Batman Forever and Bat and Rob yeah. Batman Robin, but he did. He almost. Ruined I will. I will go. I will go against uh, the grain here because I like the Clooney one was horrendous. Was I mean, he has, Clooney has a head tilt, right? The worst thing you could do is to have Batman with a head tilt because <laughs> when he's trying to be tough. Batman can't have a head tilt. Yeah, no. But, 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 I hated Clooney up until uh, what, but that entire that, 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 so I hated that, that entire movie was a disaster. Alicia Silverstone is Batgirl. Oh yeah. You know, Schwarzenegger is Mister Freeze. Uma Thurman is Poison. I mean, it was just bad through and through. But I'll tell you, I don't think Batman Forever was bad. I mean, Val Kilmer was an okay Batman, but having Carrie wow. and and Nicole Kidman and Tommy Lee Jones, I thought the that helped. Was, yeah. That helped. I, I I think, yeah, Val Kilmer wasn't terrible. He's like in the middle of Batman's. Right. What's interesting is, if I'm going to be honest, I remember when Keaton was announced. And at that point, we knew Keaton from Johnny Dangerously and Mr. Mom and things like that. It was hard to Night believe shift. he was going to be a good Batman. So I remember saying, I got to see this because I'm not sure. And not only was it good, it was one of the few where I actually went and bought the VCR tape after so I could watch it a few more times because I felt like it was that good. Like he was shortened to the point. He wasn't like overly chatty, overly cool, overly anything, but he played it just right, I felt. Except for the, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is classic. Keaton's like, I'm going to get at least one singer in here. Yes. And it's going to be with Nicholson. So he's That was sort of a Beetlejuice line more than anything. It yeah. was. It was. It was a beautiful thing. thing. But the classic Keaton late 80s line where you he know started, did really well. And I think even Christian Bale was sort of good at it. it was good, good. Again, Bale. The brooding, just showing him like driving in the Batman car, just brooding, not saying much, not being too chatty. That's good. That's what Batman should be. Yeah, the only, the only complaint I've ever heard about Bale as Batman was in the dark night. The people you could couldn't not hear him. Understand him. It was just as bad with. Um, Tom Hardy in yes. Yes. As Bane. I'm yes. like trying to hear it in the it theater. Like, and I'm like, I'm sure these lines are awesome. I know these yeah. lines are awesome. And when I, I watched this one at home and I had the subtitles on, it was yeah. bad. I knew these lines were good. The movie was great. <laughs> the movie was terrific, but those things were bad. But I'm just happy that Michael Keaton is back. I think this is going a long way. Um, the guy who plays the Flash, Ezra, I forget his last Ezra name. Moore, yeah. yeah, he's really good. I got to cover him at Wizard World and took in a few panels. And I got to tell you, he is full of energy. 
and he is um, excitable and he's funny. And I think Flash sort of needs that because the Flash on TV is really good. Don't get me wrong. I still watch it. But I think this he has given a different dynamic to it. And I think for movies, it's more over the top. And I think you need that. And they haven't they haven't announced a uh, uh, a replacement for Cavill as a Superman, correct? He's not he's not being replaced. He's, they said he's still he's, he's said still he's in it doing. after all it's this. Oh, I thought, I, thought, I thought I thought they said it was uh, he was no, done. They oh, were no, negotiating. No, no, he's not. He's, he's, I think they're just going to be really judicious in the spots that they're going to put him in to try right. to see if they can redo this thing because it's tough in the modern age. I just say it's it's tough to do the big the big blue Boy Scout. Yeah, and then, yeah, and the funny the funny thing is they can get away with this aging Batman because Superman never ages and neither right. does Wonder Woman. So they can transition right. Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne is human. Yes. Into an older Bruce Wayne. And they and I mean honestly, I, I think Keaton, I mean, I've always been a fan I'm of excited him. to hear it. I mean, I, yeah. I love Keaton. Now people start ripping and they're like, Well, he's sixty-eight. It's like, but they know what to do with him at sixty-eight. Right. They do, trust me. Yeah, I think you know. I think the big and we'll get started after this. The big thing is, I think there's a lot of doubt in Zack Snyder, and that's yes. oh, yeah. I mean, because Zack Snyder, I mean, you, it was almost impossible to think that you could screw up Batman and Superman and and. and oh, we did it in Dawn of Justice. Don't worry. And, and he has. And yeah. that's I, I, one last thing on it. If you remember from the Batman TV series. The guy who played Alfred was probably in his 60s, mm -hmm. and he donned the costume a couple times and apparently fooled the bad guys. So if he could do it, Keaton can do it. Yeah, but the question is now, are they going to age Jeremy Irons to like 80 years old? Or? He's already there, man. Like, you don't have to. <laughs> I think Jeremy Irons is about the same age as Michael. He Keaton. is. So anyway. Right. Okay. Uh, X should be joining us. Um, Hello, Hockey World. Today is Tuesday. June 23rd, 2020. I'm Anthony Mangione from Centerize Philly Magazine. I'm Jan Levine, and happy Mike looked at a calendar. <laughs> Rusco and Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com, wondering if we're ever going to have a baseball season. And But it looks like Just we're keep gonna, wondering. Yes. But it looks like we are going to have a hockey season. At least everything is going in that direction. Well, a couple little bits of news. We'll start with the one that was sort of breaking – uh, over the last hour or two, Andy Strickland, who used to work for Hockey Buzz, and uh, um, he uh, reported that, uh, and we've heard this talk over the last couple weeks of the NHL and the PA working on uh, a uh, an extension of the CBA, which makes a lot of sense because we know that there are going to be ramifications regarding escrow, and yeah. it only makes sense, Russ, that if they're going if they were going to have a solution, it would come with a new CBA. He he, uh, Andy talked about a six year extension. And they really, it has to go hand in hand with a solution to, to escrow because they're going to have to spread these losses over a number of years. Yeah, I, I look at it like both of these sides are reasonable, reasonable compared to what we saw, how baseball was handling it. And they basically, both sides are looking at the financial side down the road. They were already talking about financial matters and they got the idea, hey, let's just keep talking about this because we hope that we're going to play again, but we can make headway in this area. And they did, whereas in baseball, they just decided not to kill each other, but they still have, in a, in two years, a CBA fight ahead of them. So this is this is really good progress. This is probably the best progress we've seen in the last, like, 15 years with both sides. 
So, so I think the, the, the return, sorry, I think the return to play subgroup helped a lot because I think you got a cross section of what the players wanted and what the players were thinking. And I'm, I'm not in agreement though. I've heard obviously when, when all this is done, they may disband that group. But I think in terms of getting the population of what the players think and having a voice at the table and a way to kind of disseminate what the viewpoint is, having that group went, I think, a long way to getting this evening. Now, granted, I'm quite curious to see what modifications happen, both in, clear, in terms of escrow, in terms of how signing bonuses are going to be treated. Is there going to be anything in terms of a compliance buyout next year, given what transpired this year? So all those things are kind of things that are still on the table that have to be decided. But mm-hmm. they, they could not have had a strike in another year when the CBA expired and ever expected the sport to recover. Because right. it took forever, to, and I don't know if sure it's fully there, from where we were even back in 94 when they had the strike, or lockout, depending on your view. Anthony? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Jan just pretty much hit about two, about three of the things I was going to state, so. Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> That's okay, Jan. It's all right. But, well, yeah, this is pro- – I mean, the pro- – at this point, it's good it, across the board. This is good news, and again, we've already seen report. It, it, you do have to get this to a full, full player vote, as we all know. Not every player is going to be on board. We already saw that post from the score already about how you know there's well, at least one Western Conference player who's not necessarily on board with this just yet, and and we're going to have to see. There's still plenty of hoops that have to be jumped through. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at it this way. We at least this league, the NHL understands that players are at risk. They were testing their guys right at the moment they they brought them back. So they've at least showed, yeah, we care about you guys. You guys are the product. We're trying to work with you here and try and do what you want. There's always going to be players that don't feel like the risk is worth it. And again, for all we know, this is from coming from a guy on a team that doesn't feel like he could win the cup. So then the risk doesn't really seem worth it to him, right? I mean, that's human nature. We're going to hear more of this, and that's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, could it be Drew Doughty again? Um, but, uh, now, Jan, just go back to what you said about uh, the solution in terms of, you know, if it's a flat cap, will they go the way of compliance buyouts? So the thing is, we've heard over the last couple months that, you know, if that was a possibility, the owners don't want to go down that road because all that does is cost them money in terms of, you right. know, it, it would almost make more sense for the league to have a one or two year sort of Larry Bird exemption where they, you know, they have yeah. a, they have a player that doesn't count against the cap because it doesn't cost them money to buy out the player to clear the cap space. It just eliminates them off the books, so to speak. Well, the other thing you can potentially do so the bird exemption is an interesting idea. It's been talked about a lot. I just think in terms of, look, Bettman was in the NBA. Clearly, he understands kind of how it works. But incorporating that is not as easy as it would seem to be from a league that's never done it before. And to try sure. to do it now with everything else going on. The other alternative that's come up and I've brought broached a couple of times is rather than having a compliance buyout, have the ability to wipe off a existing buyout from your books from the cap perspective and just be able to pay the money but not necessarily have it count against the cap. Now, granted, that doesn't benefit every team because not every team doesn't have a buyout. But that is another solution if you don't want to necessarily go the buyout route in terms of waiving somebody now and not having a count on the cap. If you can take a piece of the cap already there and just wipe it off your books based upon paying the money out without having the cap hit. That's mo- that's money that you're already paying, so why right. not just get an exemption? Yeah, Exactly. Well, that makes sense. Um, okay. uh, Mike, one more piece of news that sure. I just saw. So that's supposed to be, oh, I just saw came across about a half hour ago. Dallas and Pittsburgh, I think, officially got informed last night that they are yeah. no longer in the in the mix to be hub cities. So yeah, it's not a big surprise, given, given yeah. the conversations we've had. But you can see that list getting list getting slowly whittled down to kind of get to the last couple. Well, right now, right Word now, official. 
Pittsburgh was official. Dallas, that, that came from John Shannon. Yeah. Um, Columbus wasn't yet official yet. I know, so but based right. on what's happening there, I think yeah. we could eliminate yeah, we, it. Yeah, I think we can make assumptions, but in terms of a physical scratch-off right now, Pittsburgh right now. Pittsburgh, I guess, is just too boring. I can't say it's not, so, you know. And Col Columbus came from, I think it was Brian Hedger, the yeah. dispatch. So right now we're down to six, the three Canadian teams, Vegas, L.A. and Chicago, and let's let's go. Let's talk about this. LA's why not Newfoundland? Why not Newfoundland? Oh, 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 wait a second. No, I'm not hoeing. Well, this I'm gonna I'm leading to ask you a question. I All think right. L.A. and Chicago are a joke. I think there's no way they go to either one of those two. So why the hell are they in the running? No, I think I think they are just appeasing ownership there. But I was gonna make a joke and say, why not Newfoundland? Nothing's going on there. Not even COVID. But no, I mean, look. L.A. and Chicago, I don't think we're ever going to see. Chicago doesn't even make any sense on any level because I know they have a brand-new practice facility. That's great. But it's still a hard city to navigate, and I think that is, is another issue where you don't want to deal with that right now. And L.A., they still have problems. Yes, that Staples Center area, you could have a nice bubble there, and things would be sweet for the players, but I think there's too many – I think there's too much public there. I think the, the – that even if you talk about Vegas, as long as, like I said, you're not on the strip every day, you're probably okay. But that LA live area, that is the only thing in that area. And regular people are going to be there all the time. Right. Um, okay. So the other thing that was reported yesterday by Chris Johnston of Sportsnet was that phase two is moving to like almost phase 2.5 apparently uh starting today and even like further in the week that the groups uh are going to be increased the size will be increased from six to 12 players now i, I was on a conference call earlier with uh jason spezza of the leafs and he indicated that they hadn't moved up to that higher number yet but they would probably happen by the end of the week it just seems a little weird that you know, and I, I'm all for it because the, the the league seems to like not be concerned about the 11 positives, and that will be a trend. But I thought that they would delay this a little bit until training camp. But they're going ahead, and they're I mean, the increase of a number of players on the ice is also I think it's a reflection of the the confidence that things aren't going to spread, but also that they're going full bore in the direction towards opening of training camp on July 10th. But it, it just you know, Stephen Stamkos saw uh Johnston's tweet and put like basically like a smiley face with his face with his hand up yeah, yeah. because their their training camp their their camp facilities are closed because well for obvious weird. reasons right but you know I I think I think the issue with this is I don't think it's because they have the confidence that nothing's going to happen this is a petri dish test and they want to see what is going to happen right. that's why I think they did this and in two weeks we'll know uh, Anthony, do you think this is a smart thing for the league to do, or just like Russ said, this is an experimentation, and that's what I, I lean more towards what Russ says. This is a little bit of an experimentation, a little bit of a kind of just kind of seeing where things are at, pushing things along in a what I would say a relative. I think that they're being relatively cautious right here. Remember, that part of it is still people coming. I mean, for the Rangers, for example, I think Alexander Georgiev and Kapo Kapo are coming over. I think Friday, Pavel Buknevich is on his way back, so. Not everybody can be in camp anyway because you're going to have to self-quarantine to a certain extent when people are coming over, right? So it all depends on who's located locally and or regionally that can maybe get there as opposed to coming in either from either Canada or overseas. So expanding from 6 to 12, you know, you're going to start and you'll probably have another expansion shortly thereafter. 
in about another week or so, and then you're going to go full bore. July 10th is about two weeks away into mm -hmm. the full-blown camp. So it's not surprising they had an uptick in terms of the number on the ice. Yeah, and I saw a note on, on Reddit that apparently a lot of the Finnish players, uh, Leo Komarov and a couple other Finns, arranged a, uh, a, a special flight, a, 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 a charter, of, and brought over a number of Finnish players rather than have them fly uh, fly air, the regular airline. So they, you know, in that in that, in that instance, they're they're gar not guaranteeing themselves because you never know. But it's I mean it's actually a smart move because then you're not intermingling with people that could be positive. So that, 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 I think that was a good idea. You know, said I a while ago it might be the case, right? We, we had talked about going either to central locations and flying together, or in this case, you know, chartering a flight. And if you get 30, 40 people together, right, it makes a lot more sense than flying flying a regular airlines as you said Mike because you're limiting your exposure to people that way as well right yeah I do want to also address the the constant naysayers online who just were like well let's just push this along to 2021 and and not have this season and everything else the reason they're going through this is because there's no guarantee things are better in 2020 21 and if you figured out a way to deal with it then you could have the end of this season and the next season if you wait you may end up having no end of this season and no next season either that's yeah, why these people do not understand the concept that this would be a financial disaster for the league if they don't finish these playoffs they don't realize that they don't care i mean i i get it and see that uh it it's it's a situation where okay i know not everything is dollars and cents but this league had, they're doing everything they can to limit exposure of players. Will that work? We don't know, but they're doing everything they can. They're working with the players. The players, I think, with, through the PA, are confident that the league is doing the utmost to guarantee their safety. But because they, they're, they're partners in this, and Anthony, they know that mm -hmm. if they don't get this done, they are screwed. Yeah, they have. Again, you're at this point now, 75 85% of the of, of payouts pretty much have occurred at this point, right? In terms of contracts and everything else. You want to try to get – you, you exhaust all – I feel like you exhaust all possibilities in terms of getting getting the season finished. And then once it's done, you can kind of then reassess what your situation is going to be for 2020, 2021 and starting the next season. So I think it is you know because of their situation versus baseball um which hasn't obviously gotten off the ground at all hockey let's face it in terms of revenues versus baseball in this case they can't as you stated they can't financially afford to not finish this season unless all again unless they've exhausted all possible elements yeah and the difference here is is that the nhl is getting paid by the networks if they play but not if they not if they don't play, whereas the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball are getting money one way or well, excuse me, the NBA and the NFL. I don't think it's with baseball. With baseball, I think it's incumbent on them to play games to offer a product for them to get paid. But the NFL and the NBA are getting paid no matter what, so they can you know they can deal with not having fans in the in, in the stands and still be able to be financially viable. The NHL. They're losing money either way, but they're losing less money if they play the playoff games, and that's why it needs to happen. Um, okay, nine years ago, I didn't see this until a few minutes ago, but I think it's valid to bring it up here because it's an interesting deal. Nine years ago today was the epic uh, three-way deal between the Kings, Columbus, and the Flyers involving Richards, Jeff Carter, 
Wayne Simmons, Shen, well, uh, Jacob Vorchak. I mean, that, that was, was it three way. Was it that, or was it considered to be? I thought it was two. I have to remember. If it, was it was two separate deals. Two separate deals. It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were two. They were two separate deals that just happened to happen literally within hours of each other. Within so, minutes, yeah. Within, yeah, and then accounting for the fact that Carter was then shipped to Los Angeles afterwards, and they all were on the same. Well, that, but that was after that was after most right. of the year in Columbus and him pissing and moaning. But right. I mean, let's just for a few minutes. I mean, the ramifications of that deal. You know, even going towards today, looking at looking at the, the the current construct of the Flyers. I mean, Couturier. We talked yesterday about him being a leading yeah. candidate for the Selkie, and he was the draft. He was the draft pick in that deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was. I mean, it was. There are epic deals, and there are epic deals, and this was the latter more than the former. One of the last, if you really think about it. I mean, if we go throughout the last deck within the last decade, it's probably a pair of the two of the biggest trades. Of that deck uh, of the decade, when you consider the return yeah. that was involved, the play, the, this, you know, where those players were at that point of their career, how they were viewed, and then they go to Los Angeles, each of them, and then the you know, in LA wins two Stanley Cups as a result. The first one probably a bit more uh, with Richard's help than yeah. Carter, but Carter, and then the second cup was no question, I think, was Carter had a, had a impact. Carter was perfect. Perfect setup and for Los Angeles in terms of setting them up for you know really strong middle you know middle of the decade, uh, look, beginning of middle to the decade. For Philadelphia again, it's if you look at it from the grand scheme of things, it all it is a decade of frustration for the flyer for flyer fans, of you know watching you know these players sort of coming you know younger players coming in. You had a break you know you have a Braden Shen come in. Good, but you know, never quite at the never quite not in Philadelphia. Never quite at the level you were hoping on a consistent basis. Um, and then, of course, you have. But but again, when you look at where they're at now, some of those younger players are now in the primes of their careers. And at the time when Philadelphia is making a resurgence, Sean Couturier, um, obviously Jake Voracek, you know, one of the league leading scorers. So if you're going to say the Philadelphia's playing the long game here and they have a long playoff run and win a Stanley Cup, then that end of the deal looks great for them. Columbus is the one team in this case that kind of, you know, got a little bit, got got, got a bit of the short end, especially after when Carter ended up getting dealt to Los Angeles for for Jack Johnson and Johnson never quite panned out to the point that we, you know, that many had hoped he would. So and it's, Carter it's, all but didn't Carter all but force his way out of Columbus. He, did. he, did. Oh, he, didn't, he didn't want to be there at all, and he made he it very he didn't want to be there. Exactly, and then he ends up and he ends up with his partner in you know, with Richards in in L.A. And that that was a team that already had a good structure in place already. But, but here here is a deal that made the NHL change rules because if you remember. Carter and Richards were signed to long-term extensions with mm -hmm. no trade clauses, but the no trade clause didn't kick in till July one. Mm -hmm. They and and uh, what was it? Holmgren. Holmgren, Holmgren yeah. trades them before July one, before the the no trade clause kicks in. Now, if you sign an extension, it kicks in at the moment that you sign the extension. It's yeah, it's brought back to that day. So, how badly do you think Mike Richards and Jeff Carter felt screwed over by the Flyers that they had the no trade? I think again, most players. I think the I, I, knowing this situation, I think, and I believe Danny Briere had addressed this um, on on another on a, on a podcast. I believe it might be it was probably uh, Anthony Sanfilippo's podcast. 
Mm. Um, and he stated that we knew that one of them were going to go that summer. They didn't know that they didn't realize they didn't think that both right. were going to go. They knew that they, well, they the yeah, based on off ice stuff, you knew off that there was there was problems. I mean, the last season or two, Richards, even as a captain, became like a low talker, and you could tell he wasn't completely happy with the way things were and his place on the team. He was struggling as a young captain in that regard. He wasn't struggling so much with play on the ice, but he didn't want to talk after. He didn't want to talk about anything. So you knew there was issues with that. The the lucky thing here for Philly was that Sean Couturier had mono because if he didn't, he wouldn't have dropped. No, he wouldn't have been there. And, then it, it, it went, and, you know, the question is whether or not they knew he would have been there or not at, set, at, the, at their pick. When they made the deal, I think that's a hope. I don't think they could have known that. Hope, exactly. I don't yeah. think they could have known that because I don't know if they knew, as an example, that Ryan Strom would have gone fifth. Um, I don't know if they knew that Hamilton wouldn't have gone yet because Hamilton was, you know, really high reg highly regarded. So I think I think things just broke right for them. Mm -hmm. I think it only takes one or two picks a little bit off to do that anyhow but the it, it was a shock because again i i told this whatever day it was whatever show but but steve wine just happened to look we were in minnesota it was right before we talked to the prospects pre-draft is like the day before and they're all out in the in the auditorium and steve goes oh look look at this flyers trade and i'm like damn so anybody we're talking to down there now could be a flyer tomorrow and i think and so i think the flyers, yeah at the time i think philadelphia also thought comfortable enough making the leadership deal because at the time they put their chips in with Chris Pronger. Right. And they were confident that Pronger was going to kind of rule over that lot, will rule over that locker room and things, you know, that's really when you get but down. It, but it changed the way we covered that day. And because we weren't thinking about Philly at all that day. And then all of a sudden we were thinking, Hmm. Who are they after with these like seven, eight guys on the and floor? They probably had a whole board of guys there. Oh, yeah. Those they hope for, those we'll see who we get. And I'm sure there was a lot, a lot of possibilities there. I think, and I think like you, you brought up Brodeen. I think he's probably a guy that was on their board. I'm thinking Hamilton was on their board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Shifley fell a little bit in that draft because I think people were a little worried about his offensive output, but clearly you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, even the Rangers, I felt like drafted JT Miller a little early, but you know, he's turned out to be a terrific player. So I think, I think when you look at it, you say, yeah, you know what, this just broke right for Philly, but in other circumstances, if it were pro Dean, we wouldn't be talking about this trade the same way. Uh, a couple brief news and notes, and then we'll get to the hall of fame discussion and the Bruins. Um, uh, Oscar we're Lindholm. never getting to the Bruins. Can we just? We're, getting, we're, getting, to, we're getting to the Bruins. We're uh, never going to get to the Bruins. I guarantee. I'm going to predict we will not get out of the Hall of Fame debate. Go ahead. Okay, let's talk about the Bruins. How about that? Put the nays there. <laughs> yeah, when are we getting to the Hall of Fame debate, though? It's not a debate. We're just going to. Well, okay. We should do the Hall of Fame first, Mike, because the Bruins—they're not going anywhere. Uh, for, okay. First of all, Oscar Lindholm. That's a loaded comment. That's a generic comment. <laughs> skating is skating today at the Flyers practice facility. I don't know whether that means it's a possible that he's going to get back into action or or what. I think he's but, just skating. Okay. I mean, I, I, it was notable because it, it was reported it's the first yeah. time he skated since the treatment for um, his particular affliction. Yeah, I would. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not hoping really he's going to be jumping into the playoff on the playoff roster, but I, it's it is yeah. it'd be hard to predict that. It'd be hard to predict it, but I I'd lean towards opportunity to get on the ice. Yes, 
and just kind of feel some some you know, yeah some help help him with his feeling back to being you know feeling normal and feeling like a hockey player again. Now, Russ, I, I don't know how much effect this is going to have on the draft, and we know the draft is going to be probably mid to late October. Uh, with uh, we've heard free agency would start November the first, and the draft yeah. is probably going to be in mid to late October. Um, Corey Pronman is reporting that the KHL is going to have a four-team summer tournament uh, with, with uh, Metallurg, uh, Salivat, a couple other teams um, in late August. And they think that some of the, the 2020 draft eligible prospects like Askarov and a few others may participate in that. Now, the question is whether this will have any effect on the on the 2020 draft, because I think the scouting on these players has already been done. So you know, the only well, thing that affect anything is if one of them gets injured or something. like on, that. On a goalie, it would matter in the sense that I, I give you the scenario that we talked about a while ago. So let's say somehow Detroit ends up with the fourth pick and it's just, they're just not lucky. If they pick it fourth and if they saw Askarov had a great tournament there, I could see him taking them. I could see them because they need a franchise goalie. They figure, hey, the best three are gone right now. Let's take the next best player at a position available, which would be him. And especially if he has a good summer tournament, I think the KHL's done this before, though. I don't think this is the first time doing this. No, I think they, they may have done it before, but it obviously they've done it before. I'm pretty sure with everything that's going on and the fact right, it's just something to something will go on. So no, it, it'll matter a little bit if if he were to break his leg. Sure, then it would affect things, but you know it's not going to happen. Now, um, regarding the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame announcements, I believe, will happen tomorrow or at the absolute latest on Thursday. I think it's, no, it's tomorrow. It's uh, 4.30, I think. Yeah, 4.30 for you know Sportsnet and then like 5 o'clock for the rest of us. Now, the, the, the question is, and we've – and I start. I'm writing about this, and of course, taking a leaf perspective of it because you know um, that's who I cover. Um, there are a couple first time uh, uh, eligibles that I think are no brainers. Uh, Jerome McGinley being one. Um, He's the one that I think everybody realizes. Yes, he will be in. Now, Marion Hosa is also being discussed as a no brainer. Of obviously three times. Mm, I don't know if he's a no brainer. I think he. Yeah, I would. Yeah, Mike, continue. Sorry. No, I was going to say three-time Stanley Cup winner, but, you know, before that had some, you know, he he had trouble winning with Detroit. He had trouble winning the Cup with Pittsburgh. Right. He had many opportunities with Ottawa, but he got past that with with, with Chicago and got his got his Cups and had a great career. And, he's I know, a dangerous Robert, player, though. Again, he, he, it's worth – I think he's worthy of discussion, but I think in the end he gets – I think he'll get but, – But in terms of awards, he's only got one second team all-pro to his, to, his, to his record, which could be uh, a Dutchman. But, yeah, he made it, what, the Cup three straight years on three different teams? But but it's not because – see, but that is that is not necessarily a positive in the sense that – No, no, I agree. Yeah. No, but he was a contributing factor. For but, he, but he was a factor in those teams making it to three. He was accounting for. He's he was he was a drive he was a driving force. You watched him on any of those teams. He yeah. was an absolute four-checking nightmare for teams to deal yeah. with. When he, the puck was on his stick, right. he was as close to Yager-esque as you could get sometimes when he yeah. was in his end. What's the max number that can get in at once? Is there a max number? It's four. Four, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, at that point, th those three years when he went to three cup finals, he was a mercenary because he was he was Atlanta. Yeah. He was with Atlanta. He got mm -hmm. traded to Pittsburgh. 
He went to Game Seven for Pittsburgh. They lost. Then he then he went to Detroit, lost in Game Seven. Then and then went to Chicago and and, and won his first Stanley Cup, first of three cups with the Blackhawks. And then he stayed with the Blackhawks until uh, his retirement. Although Russ doesn't think he's retired, he thinks he's coming back. I do think um, he's coming back, but whatever. That doesn't mean he can't get voted in now. I just think he doesn't have an identity. When we talk about some of these other players, they all have an identity. I don't well, know if Marion Hosa really has an identity. To me, his identity was again based on how he played, and I don't want. I'm not going to say obviously Yager, but he there were elements of his game that, that were Yager esque to me. Wow. But I think, but I think he he was a better two way player than Yager. He was a better oh, defensive yeah. player. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the and that's the, and that's the the, the, the caveat here in that circumstance is that with each of those teams, which employed pretty strong. 200, you know, 200 foot games. Uh, he was, I thought he was quintessential, strong on the back check. Yeah. Now the a couple of names that were mentioned as potentials and possible possibles. Uh, one, if I had a vote, I would never vote for him, but he probably is eventually going to get in. And that's Daniel Alfredson, uh, who had. I think he's close, but I don't why, think he'll why get would in. You vote him in though? I just disliked him as a player. I thought he was a rat. I mean. And he, you know, he never, and he never won a Stanley Cup. So I, you know, that I. I but he that. got his team to a Stanley Cup. That's why I'll never have a Hall of Separate, you know. That's why I'll never have a Hall of Fame. I don't like him. He's not getting in. I don't like him. Sound like I'd vote for a non. I'd vote for a non-deserving Wendell Clark than I would for Daniel Alfredson. Oh, why you don't have a vote? I think he's close right now. Uh, but I think Albertson's going to probably wait a little bit because I think again now he his positive is he did play in the clutch and grab era quite a bit of it and yeah. still put up really good numbers. And, 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 yeah, that would be my point exactly. And did get Ottawa to the cup, and so yeah. you know that is something where you could easily say it wouldn't have happened. And he also he was the identity of the Ottawa Senator, so those things weigh in his favor. And was a noted cheap shot artist, but okay. Whatever. Uh, now, now uh, two two other names. Can we go to the Hockey Hall of Fame and, and go through the whole list of guys who were cheap shot artists who were in the Hall of Fame? Bob, Bobby Clark. Uh, 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 Keith, Keith Kachuk was another name. Uh, 538 career goals. Um, I don't know. With guys who we liked, I would have Kachuk in right away. because I think I think Kachuk is going to have to wait because I do think he'll get out for years. He wasn't Shanahan, but he was pretty, pretty darn close in terms of the power. Forward. Yeah, he I was, but he was a one-dimensional guy, and I think he rubbed a lot of people on the panel the wrong way. I think that's why he's going to have to wait, not because now, of talent. Now I'm wondering whether the recent negative press that he has had ends the potential of Jeremy Roenick ever making it. Yeah, I think Roenick's in trouble making it. He's going to have to really kind of stay. I think he's going to have to be. He's got to rehabilitate his image, and, and I mean, he technically apologized, quote unquote. But Catherine Tappan hasn't necessarily forgiven him yet, which I don't know if she has yet or hasn't. But just the whole story didn't help matters. No, right, it didn't help. I think he, I think he was knocking on the door prior to it, and now he's got a lot of rehabilitation work to do. And for the most part, he's been on a few radio. He's, I've heard him on a few broadcasts. He was actually on, I think, with Jason uh, recently, Russ. On, oh uh, yes, one ninety-seven, yeah. and he was good. He was, okay. very, you know, not he was straightforward business. A little bit of the Ronick personality, but right, not too, okay. open, not too, not too much. And that's kind of the direction he's got to go. I don't want to say he's got to be milk toast, but he's got, but he, he he can't 
shoot from the hip. He's got to no. not shoot from the hip as much. As and he I think he was a borderline guy. Anyhow, yeah. he would have right. gotten in on the strike. Or just not quite in the door. Now he's really got to do some. It would have been a big force on a couple of teams. I mean, Chicago, you look at even when yeah, he went sure. to Arizona, also, Phoenix, Philly. So based on the fact that he was a U.S. player and he ranks high on that list, was probably going to weigh in his favor. But yeah. now – Now, I saw this guy for – Six seasons in Buffalo. I saw him win a cup with New Jersey in, I think it was 03. Uh, no, 01. Uh, and Alexander McGillney. Uh, and he played three years with the Leafs. So he's one of the guys I'm writing about. He had less than 500 goals. But I think McGillney should be in. I'm wondering whether this is going to be the year or if he's going to have to wait a couple more years. Because, I, you know, 76 goals that year in 93. He scored 55 with Vancouver. He won a cup. You know, he he was he was good or great every year except the final year when Lou Lamorello buried him in Albany when he when right. he got a contract. Right. So I think he was a contributor and a and not not just a solid one but a star. Yeah. Remember, he didn't get to have the same kind of career that a lot of other players did either. Yeah. Based on when he got to the NHL, so I, I think he's a slam dunk. I don't even care how many goals he had; the talent was there. Yeah, and and I think that's he should get in just based on him that. Burray, I mean, I, I often paired the two of them hand in hand. Yeah. Him and Pavel Burray were the same sort of just lightning, you know, lightning bolt type of talent on the ice yeah. where you had to account for him at all times because he oh, could yeah. it in so many different ways. But he had just a lethal shot, incredibly quick. Right. Yeah, I think Mogilny's the Hall of and, Fame. And I think if you add in the backstory of the defection of how we ended up coming yes. over, I think yeah. that's also going to be a potential factor because he he helped pave the way for other guys to come over, which I think has to be considered in terms of the overall body of work. Now, you know, I'm a softie when it comes to goaltenders, so let's go down that road because there are a number of two Stanley well, Hold Cup on, you're leaving out a lot of forwards. Are we going to ever get – Yeah, no, no, I just, I, I just want to – Boston wanna, wants to make sure he, that we don't get to Boston today so he could say yeah, I told no, you. No, 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 I'm <laughs> saying let's, <laughs> let's let's finish the forwards because we know that – There's a ton more you could go through. I was going to – You can go through. I was going to lump – The Hall of Fame rarely votes in goalies. That's I was going to lump all the goaltenders into one question so we could get by them and get get – Get back to the forward. Okay, Mike, it's your show. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, because because <laughs> Mike Vernon, Tom Barrasso, um, who's the other one? I'm Osgood. Uh, Chris Osgood. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, you know, they're th- you don't want to say Lawrence Shabbat? You wrote him and well, Mike Richter. He didn't win two cups. Oh, I think he really two cups is the, is the line of sand moment. No, he, okay. he won one with the Leafs, but I think he may have won a second one with another team with the Rangers. Won, I think he won with the Rangers. Yeah, yeah. he was the he was the goal. He was the goal, but he didn't win it because Lester Patrick was the sure, one. Sure, but he was he was there he until he got hurt. It's not his fault he got hurt. Sure, it is. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll lump Lauren Shabbat for everybody who doesn't even know who the hell he is. Um, Look it up. Do any of them get in? Ever get in? Get in this year? What do you think? I'm going to say never get in because the Hall of Fame doesn't vote in goalies. Like they just, Grant Fuhrer was a miracle they voted him in. And I thought he was overwhelming. There's so many goalies that we could put in there and they don't put anybody in. And I don't know what it is. I think think Jonathan Quick will get in. I I don't know. I mean, you think think Quick will get in. I think. Does does Cujo get in with four hundred and fifty four? Well, yeah, you, Cujo's close. You went to the, you went to my next. You went to my next one. Here. Right. And wait, wait, hold on. Does if, I mean look? One injury prone career. Does, does Richter get in having won a Stanley Cup? Richter's not going to get in. And also winning. Richter the should, but Richter he's not going to get in. Richter should get in. 
He won't though. But Lundquist should get in. Even well, though Lund I think Lundquist is Lundquist going has to a better chance than Rick. Yeah, and Lundquist gets in. Lund Lundquist, okay, Lundquist and Mark Andre Fleury passed Cujo in career victories just this year. Right. I don't know how many more years that they have left in their career. Lundquist maybe one, uh, probably Fleury a couple, but they just passed Cujo. Cujo played 19 years. Uh, you know, the, the the main thing against him is he didn't win a cup, but he had playoff success. I mean, it wasn't his fault that the teams in front of him were flawed. I mean, like Edmonton, the one year that he got, he single handedly got yeah, them. Yeah. Dallas. Yeah, I remember that series against Detroit, right? It's Dallas against it was, it was a I remember that distinctly. He was just they couldn't figure him out. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I know he has the third most career losses, but he's, I think he had the third or fourth most career games played. So, I think Cujo will get in. I think Richter will get in. I think Lundquist will get in. I just don't know. I mean, Barrasso, it's well known. Barrasso is not well liked by the media. And I don't know how long, you know, the guy won call, the Calder and he won two cups in a row. So I think he deserves it, but I don't think he, I don't think he's ever going to yeah, get. Gonna, it's going to be the same kind of factor when you look at how difficult it was for Fuhrer to get in, yeah. but even more so again for Barrasso because of the fact that the team that was in front of him. I mean, that Penguins team was those two Penguins teams were loaded. Right, six goalies since 1989 have gotten in. Well, so six. Part of the problem is is only allowing four in per year. Yeah. You know, really makes it again, and you Actually, could argue seven, whether or not Hall of Fame and what what constitutes Hall of Fame. And Russ and I have had conversations about the Baseball Hall of Fame in terms of who gets in and who doesn't get in. But I, I do think that the the population of names that should get in annually should be expanded somewhat because you're you're now creating such a backlog that it's going to be ridiculous for some of these guys to even attempt but to get in. Eric Lindros in his career, I'm not gonna lie to you and say to you that I, that he would to me was a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Yeah, and and I I spoke to I I messaged somebody who works at the Hall of Fame, and apparently there's no sort of like veterans committee type of situation at the mm -hmm. Hall of Fame anymore. So it, that's going to make it tough for a guy like Shabbat, who I think right. has a resume that is worthy of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But there's no criteria that we know of that we ever get to see either, and that's the problem. I think they just talk about guys and they get in. Like here's an example, it, right? If you go with Billy Smith, Grant Fuhrer, Patrick Waugh, Ed Belfort, Dominic Hasek, Rogi Vachon. Like, Rogi Vachon doesn't belong in that group. He's no. really great. I watched him. I thought he was a terrific goalie. He didn't have much in front of him. But clearly some guys on the panel liked him. So oh, Rogi gets in. Probably Montreal. Yeah, the so. Montreal factor, right. Right. But, but, but the problem is, is the same. you can almost argue the same thing about the NFL Hall of Fame. What is the criteria specifically to get into the NFL? They let in 20 guys a, a year. So Right. So, yeah. And Ro and Rogie and Rogi won Rogi won two Stanley Cups with the Canadians in '68 and '69, but that wasn't his prime. His prime was no. the Kings, right? So, yeah. Um, okay, f uh, d defenseman. I've heard Kevin Lowe's name be mentioned, but Kevin Lowe is, and you know, look, a, a, not a scoring I'm, defenseman. So that's I'm, I'm biased as a guy who was an Oilers fan and watched Lowe a lot, and also watched him in '94 at the end of his career. He was a pretty – I mean, and you look at those teams, he was a pretty damn good defensive defenseman on yeah. a team that basically defense was an afterthought at best. Sure, but Ken Morrow's not in. If Ken Morrow's not in, you're not Morrow getting – Morrow didn't have as long of a career as, as as Lowe did and didn't win as many cups either. And he also won – He also won a gold medal. In the 80 Olympics, and Ken Morrow's got a hell of a resume. Trust I, me. I, I personally think – I look, I like Morrow. I personally think Lowe's better than Morrow. Personal mm -hmm. view. I don't know about that. Uh, 
between the two of them, it's a toss-up. I hate to be on the fence, but it's the truth. My, my, and I mentioned this the last time this came around last year. If you look at his career, if you, you know, you take the comparative in terms of like a guy like Kirby Puckett in Major League Baseball had a shortened career because of injury. I think you can make a case for Tim Kerr. I really think you can make a case case for Tim. Honestly, I don't think this year it's going to happen. I think the Lindros factor goes in, goes, plays plays the factor there because again, that precedent has now been set with Eric. Um, Cam Neely also. Cam Neely, yeah. Pa- Pavel Bury also had his career cut short because of injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you have, you have this, but I mean, if we're going with like current, like really recent precedent in this circumstance, right? Yeah, Tim's career, Tim's late eighty career was absolutely exemplary. He, he blew up game plans. He just—that's how good he was. Um, okay, Russ, talk about the forward, and then I got some. I, I got a whole bunch also, so I'm waiting to see who Russ leaves off, so I'll pick up the rest because there's a whole That's host fine. of them. The, the, the two forwards I hear about the most is I would trumpet Patrick Eliash, and I know others trumpet Rob Brindamore. Um, I'll tell you I why. Eliash you know, will eventually get it. I, I do, I'll tell you why with Eliash, because A, he played in an era with clutching and grabbing, and B, he played on a team that had zero offense, and yet when you look at his numbers, they were pretty damn good, and actually he's better – point per game than Brindamore, uh, who played on, you know, better offensive teams. So I, I look at Eliash and I say, yeah, he, he feels like a Hall of Famer. He's with that whole franchise. He won cups with them. He he does feel like it. Brindamore, the problem is, I, I think, I just don't feel like he was enough of anything. He was good at everything. And I think that's the problem with his identity. He's got, again, if you want to kind of say the fact that he was one of the key glue, he's a key glue guy. I think yes. the biggest thing is that he did just about everything you could possibly ask him to do very, very competently. He All wasn't right. exemplar in any, any particular, he wasn't the case where he was exemplar in any area, but in an intangible factor, he was that's huge. Yes. And he was for Philadelphia and he was for Carolina. I, I, I just want to break into this to provide this break, breaking news. Not that it's like imminent, but it, I think it'll put a smile on the face on the two people at the bottom of the screen here. Because Elliot Friedman is just reporting that uh, regarding the New Jersey head coaching vacancy, um, that it had been previously reported Nazardine, who's the who was the interim coach, is being considered Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, we heard. John Stevens and quote a mystery candidate, and that mystery candidate, according to Elliot Friedman, is one Lindy Ruff. Oh. <laughs> you know, I should have written that when I wrote the Buffalo article yesterday. That Ruff should have been written in it. Wow. So, so bottom of the screen, and, and look, your hands with glee, baby. My, my view on this one is, I think Nazardine should probably get the job. Personally, I think he actually did a pretty good job with that team towards the end of the year. Same way I think Fitzgerald should be named the GM based upon the work that he did. I would take John Stevens. I would hire Michael Fuda. I would keep Fitzgerald as the assistant GM, and that's how I would do it. Yeah. Kings East, huh? There's, there's a history there. There's a good there history, history there. They can build. You know, I think you know, we all know, you know from our own experience of Fuda's role behind the scenes in L.A., yeah, and how important he was to building that those cup winners. And Stevens uh, was around there for that for a team that's relatively that a team that's pr- still pretty young. The devil uh, for the Devils, I think Stevens would be a good candidate to help that team kind of move themselves along into getting yeah. consistent defensively. That being said, I, which I agree in many ways with Jan as well. I think Nazardine does. I think have 
deserve a little bit of leeway here in this circumstance. So it's for me, I think either of those two, I can't see Lavi. I, I, Lavi, I don't know. Lavi's at this point now where he's like, he feels like that coach who, if your team is real close, he might be able to put, he goose you over the line. But 21st century Keenan. Trying to build. Yeah. I'm not so sure in that. I thought you were going to say 21st century schizoid man. No, no, Keenan. <laughs> same thing. No, but but the the biggest problem I would give it to Nazardine over uh, Lindy Ruff because again, Lindy did not do a good job with the Rangers defense. He has not done a good job with the Rangers defense. Everybody will tell you that. And he didn't do a good job with Dallas. Ask uh, no. ask uh, our friend that's now in Colorado, uh, Valerie Nakushkin. Right. So I don't understand. Other than maybe they're just hey, he's he's a longtime guy. Maybe he'll give them a few ideas so they'll interview him. I okay. don't know otherwise. Back to the Hall of Fame here, Jim. Well, in terms of intangibles, Anthony, you got to mention him as being Rod the Bot also, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. So in terms of other guys, I mean, look, I mean, I have a whole host of guys. I mean, there's a couple, a couple of guys. Oh. I mean, well, I mean, Amante's name has come up. I just don't think he ever did enough. We talked about Alfredson. A guy who gets forgotten is Brian Bellows, who had a pretty darn good career. Um, Vincent Dampus has over 1,200 points. In, in we're, hitting the, we're hitting the 93 Canadians, are we? Yeah. You can make an argument for Danfus, I think. Danfus, I think. The Bellows more to support. Yeah, yeah no way. Defensively, guy's gotten some pub lately. I've heard the last couple of years of Sergey Gonchar. Yeah, Gonchar is there, Gonchar but. Good. Gonchar. He's a one-dimensional defenseman, so I don't think he's yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people falsely equate him and Zubov together, and right, and you can't. Zubov is on another on another level. Uh, how about Eric Desjardins? No, <gasps> no, you're talking to a person again. You're talking to to a person who really knows how much of an impact Eric Desjardins had on Philadelphia's blue line, and I think in this, I think in this current era, people would probably appreciate just how much of an impact he had on all areas of the game. It's just, I'm not sure the, just, I'm not, the numbers are probably not necessarily there for Rico yeah. for, for hall of fame. Yeah. I mean, being in the fly, certainly in a, in, in a team hall of fame. Absolutely. Not so sure, but not, not, not as so sure about a, uh, about hockey hall. No, um, uh, no. What about, I mean, Theo Fleury is the polarizing one. I mean, I think he comes close. I just don't think Theo again, I think there's probably people on the panel that don't like him. I think we, we could start there. Right. Um, and I think that I don't think that's fair, but I think that's just the reality. I, I think Theo Fleury just his last three or four years got him off that pace. He was yeah. on that pace and he got off that pace. And he had oh. problems, we know. But right around the time he was oh. with Colorado, I think he was on that pace and things kind of fell. Things so, so right. point per game, Canada Cup, Stanley Cup, and then gold medal. You know, he's yeah, not, I don't think that ready for Theo Fleury. Here, here's a guy that I'm. I was surprised. Point per game in an era where there was it was easier to get a point per game, though. Yeah. Here, I know. Here's a guy that I was surprised wasn't in the Hall of Fame, and that's Steve Larmer. Yep. Averages over a point per game. You know, had. I mean, every year with Chicago no was, was great. He was the face of the Chicago franchise, also, and he, he also was, had the, he also had the consecutive game streak until he nobody. Nobody was worried about playing against Steve Larmer. That's my problem. Okay. Uh, so a couple I mean, did he ever have over 90 points in a year? Yeah. Right. Twice. Three, okay. three times. Okay. Russ, we'll bring up a guy. In a year, it was easier, though. Both love. Oh, yeah. Was, um, sure. Rick Middleton. Yeah. Yeah, I think Middleton comes close. I don't I, think – he doesn't feel like a Hall of Famer, unfortunately. 
What about what about? I mean, I looped these guys somewhat together. Nichols and Turgeon. Turgeon's one that I, I would no, no Nichols definitely no, but but Turgeon is an interesting one, like Danfoos, and I think I would put them head to head because they're from the same era almost. They look, they had buckets of points, but points were easy to come by. 130 point seasons back then. You if you got 130 now, you'd be like, wow, 130 points. How do you do it? Back then, you have an idea of how he did it. And, and I got one well, more, Patty, Patty Verbeek. Nah. Too much of a compiler. I mean, well, Anthony, this this one, if if you look at – and I think the, the, the vote against this guy is that he did not have a big year after his center got hurt, and that's John LeClaire. John LeClaire, yeah. five years, was 40 to 50 goals yes. with Lindros, and as soon as Lindros had the concussion issues, he dropped off the planet. If you didn't, some of that's also injuries as well to John. Yeah, got back issues. You got to go back and check. He had some injuries as well, yeah. John. So um, it was a little bit tough there towards the end for sure. It was also the usage of the player too, how much the Flyers, you know, use that line oh, yeah. um, against against the party. Everybody. But, yeah, I think it, it does make it difficult. U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, I don't think anybody's ever going will ever argue that with John. Hockey Hall of Fame, it gets to it, it, it becomes a much tougher argument. Yeah. yeah, and this and this is the one. I mean, Mike, we have three and a half minutes. We could do the Bruins now. Yeah, there you go. You well, mean. this this one's near and dear. <laughs> what do you want? Generals, you're like General Zod. I win. <laughs> I am not General Zod. Neo before Zod. This one's near and dear to the blue fans of the blue and white and fans north of the border. Um, the case has been made for Paul Henderson. And I, think I would put Paul Henderson in yes. because, again, I think it goes more than numbers. The Summit Series, what it meant to Canada was massive. Like, I've interviewed the guy, and, and it was just like a year or two ago, and he carries himself like a Hall of Famer. You look at his numbers, you realize, yes, he was a very good player. He wasn't a superstar, but he was a superstar in the Summit Series, and that does mean a lot in the lexicon. Yeah, I mean, he had a good NHL career. This becomes, this becomes, though, very much more of a sentimental thing, though. Right? It does. It does. And I have a, t and I don't get me wrong. I, I, I get the argument. I just don't think I can get on board with with, with Henderson based on his career. He had a lot of points in the WHA. Yeah, too. I was just yeah. But again, it's five years in the WHA. He did five. And, and he averaged he averaged over over thirty goals, and it's it is the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? You know, if, if you're gonna let, I mean, and I'll just say this: it's like Vakalov Netamansky had a great international career. His career in the NHL was not great, but no, that's why I made it. It's, just, it's the same reason this year does does Mikhailov or Petrov get in, who haven't gone in yet? And you look at their I don't numbers, think this year internationally is just ridiculous. I, I think, think I think internet. I agree, Jen. I think there's others first. I think Mikhailov should get in. I think you know. I, I mean, I know Fedos. I know Fedosov and Trechak and is Kazatonov in? No, no, I, I don't think I so. Think he should be. I mean, but you can't put the whole team in, Mike. No, I'm not, I'm not saying the whole team. Did I say the whole team? I don't know. You rattled off the NHL. But I think if you have success that in the best in the top professional league in the world, that I mean, means a lot. Krutov would be in the eating hall of fame. I don't know about the hockey hall. Of fame. He would be in the eating hall of fame for sure. Okay, let's talk about the Bruins. <laughs> All right, we're done. All right, good show, guys. Well, I guess the question is, is who do you think's getting in then? Uh, I think I definitely think Aginla is going to get in. Um, 
I think I, I think Hindler's the only lock. That's the yeah, problem. Hindler's the only lock. I think of of the ones that are sort of borderline. I think though I think it's I think Hosa because of the three cups. I have a feeling Alfred's Alfredson's going to get in. So I'm and one to, female player will get in too, and I'm not sure who that's going to well, be. Right, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to get my barf bag ready when when Alfredson uh, makes it. But clearly uh, <laughs> well, going to be asking you, Mike, your opinion. So don't worry about it. Yeah, well, if there's a if there's a balance, they should let in Alfredson. They let, should let in Darcy Tucker the same year. You put you put the drama and drama mean. Yeah, so that'll be like putting Hunter and Turgeon in the same year. Nah, I don't think you'll see either one of those guys. I think you know Albertson, Brindamore, Elias. Those guys will all get talked about. Who knows? I mean, this this one, the only slam dunk we know is again look. Yeah, and the lack of transparency in terms of how the voting works is just correct. Nightmarish. Yeah, it's a massive problem. Yes. All right, great show, guys. We will be back tomorrow. When we talk the Bruins. When we talk about the Bruins. <laughs> tomorrow is the Bruins day. Stop stealing we're my just, lines, Dan. We're just stretching out the uh, the lead. Yes. For and the draft lottery. And the, well, the draft lottery is Friday. Thursday. Yeah, oh, wait, Thursday. Friday. Yeah. Friday. Friday. I'm forgetting what day we're on. Yeah. Well, you can't talk about it Friday because by the time people. So did I. <laughs> we'll talk about it Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, and we'll talk about it. We're going to let Russ read all the per per permutations in terms of... No, I'm not going to do that. For Anthony Mangione, for Jan Levine, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching, and remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.